Hello there, listeners, and Happy New Year. Uh, if you're listening to this when it comes out, it's our first episode of 2021. And if you're listening to this in the future, get off your flying space doohickey and do something about it. I don't know. I, I don't know where I was going with that. But hello, uh, this is this is Suck My Fanfic. Uh, I'm Alex, and my co-host's name is... Ryan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we're... That's the same enthusiasm I use when it's like I'm setting up the voicemail on my phone. Dude, say that's... your name. That Ryan. is literally what I was going to say it sounded like. I swear to God. <laughs> That's how all the intros are. It's like, you're like the, at the tone, please leave your message for, and then I just like, wait an awkward amount of time. Ryan. <laughs> oh, I am Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> I, and it's, or it's also, Ryan is not available. Please leave a message. <laughs> Ryan? I like once, I was doing that in my office, like I was sitting for my office phone. And um, I was like, oh, this is going to be awkward. I'm just going to be sitting in my desk. And all of a sudden, everyone around me who's six feet away, you know, we got, the, we got our face shields on or whatever, mm-hmm. is going to hear me go say, just say my name out of the blue. <laughs> and what was worse is like, I, it was like, at the tone, please say your name. Boop. And I was like, Ryan. <laughs> and my voice cracked. So not only did they hear me voice crack and say my name, they had to hear me say it again. And then I was like, I've said it twice and I don't like the way it sounds. I'm going to say it a third time. I was a I was a nightmare. I feel like I, I just like I, I feel like I just hopped into Dumbledore's body and I wasn't ready for it. All right, so you're gonna reference it. You have to explain it. We we can't joke about this before we record, and then you go, oh no, let's just go on. Let's not explain. Explain the Dumbledore joke because it's already really funny to me, um, and I want to reference <laughs> so, it. So so we are a fan fiction podcast, and what we do is review fan fictions. And what I do is is I and the and when it's my turn, what I do is I just. Bl- blast through the internet high speeds in the last 30 seconds before recording looking for a fan fiction um to read and and what i came across was a list of funny fan fictions like, oh this is good and then i go and i see a link to one of the top ones of 2019 it's a harry potter fan fiction called i am albus dumbledore and um it's the the premise is basically the author or the speaker or the narrator or whatever um just like jumps into the body of Albus Dumbledore and it's 52,000 words. But in the first like 50 words and like the first two paragraphs, the line which just made me laugh is, Oh my God, I jumped into the body of Albus Dumbledore. No explaining of the mechanics of how you jump by yeah. or anything like that. It's just like, it's like, I just jumped into the body of Albus Dumbledore. That's such a fanfic, like written line. You know what I mean? Like there, you, you can't have a line like that anywhere else besides fan fiction. I have I have fifty two thousand words of like amazing content, but I just got to get my reader there first. How do I? Yeah, do it? ah, screw it. I'm just gonna write it in one sentence. That is literally again exactly what I was gonna say. It's like it's like ah, I don't really want to spend time explaining the mechanics. I just want to explain the situation. So here you go. <laughs> well, that's I mean that's fan fiction, right? It's like I don't want to like spend time setting up all these people and characters. I just want to like get into the situations. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much it. So I guess I guess it's right in the spirit. Of I things, came so. into my new body, standing in front of a uniform sea of pointed hats and child's faces. <laughs> row upon row of children sat before me at long tables while I was on my dais behind a table. For a wild moment I thought I was nuts. For some reason I had never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> oh my god, don't let me be Dumble- uh, Voldemort or Umbridge. The children clapped and cheered. I looked down at my hands. Oh my god, I was Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> what a terrible... 
I just... Uh, <laughs> hey, I mean, if Dumbledore's your thing, there you go. If you got to jump into the body of Albus Dumbledore, you might as well, might as well go run with it. I'm telling you, it's Quantum Leap, but, uh, you know, that for fanfic. Whoa, this is part one of the Dumbledore insert series. Oh, whoa, there's a bunch! I am oh, Albus God. Dumbledore, 52,000 words. I am Albus Snape, 40,000 words. Oh, this is great. How many other Albuses are there? I mean, it's just spinoffs of those two, really. They just keep going. I mean, by the D-8 way, 52,000. Oh, so Fantastic Albus Beast. Snape, Senior Albus, S.I. Albus. What does that mean? I want to point out that 52,000 words and 40,000 words, which was the first two you mentioned, is like the average length of a book. So that's a whole book someone wrote about being Albus well, Dumbledore. Somebody was posting on Instagram, and they were like, this is what this podcast has done to me, and my fan fiction uh, escapades have done to me. Someone's posting on Instagram, they're like, working on my novel, 25,000 words, like, big check mark next to it. I was like, 25,000 words? What, are you done with the first chapter? Yeah, that's literally nothing, you're done, bro. You're done with the first? I was like, what? But I mean, that's like, respectable for like a really small, short little novel you're just writing for fun. But like, yeah. I'm just so used to like, 100, 100K or get GTFO, you know? Can I, and you know, I'm, I'm going to do this as someone who hasn't even finished the book that I'm writing because I'm awful. Uh, really, I have like a full-time job and a life, uh, so it's hard to, to, to finish it. But I just I – I take Umbridge. I take Professor Umbridge with the whole – You like, jump into the body of Professor Umbridge. Umbridge, just to complain. Like what is – I don't know. Like writing Twitter and writing whatever, Instagram, I guess, like – I don't know. What other occupation do you know that's like, you know, like a garbage man? Like, you post on your Instagram, like, collected garbage from 100 houses so far today. Check. Actually, you know, you, you say, you say, you say, is there anything but writing? I, dude, that's like everything. It's like when when I was like in school, it would be like, like 14 hours at the library. Check. Or like, yeah. you know, like one one robot down, a million more to go. And then, you know, it's like everything. You put, people put that in the relationships and stuff. Too. It's it's just like whatever sphere you influence, there's going to be those or, or you inhabit. It's going to be those kind of people. So I, I, I know what you mean, but I, I don't think it's exclusive to writing. No, I don't think it is either. I, I'm just saying I, I feel like, yeah, I guess it's not exclusive to writing. I don't know. It's just uh, maybe I take umbrage with people like that because that's not – I don't know. I, you know me pretty well. Am I like that personally where I'm like got to well, go Well, when you jumped into the body of Albus Dumbledore, you were kind of a dick for a little bit. But I well, mean, other than that, you've been a pretty cool guy. When you're the world's second most powerful gay wizard, you kind of have to, you know? And 16th sexiest wizard. Just coming in shy of the top 15. Yeah. I think number one's David Bowie. I know he's not gay, but maybe he, he is a wizard is. Does he still get counted wizard even though he's a wizard alien cross? I, you know, that's that's really not for me to say. I'm neither, so I can't really speak to that. I'd say that's really for the scholars. That's not really our place to say. Yeah, that's the historians will debate it. Exactly, yeah. That, that's for future generations to determine, not us. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so our, our opening topic for the day. I've had, I've been, I've been, I've been letting this one stew. I've been sitting on this one because uh, I think it's pretty good. It's not us reading an article, though that actually seems to do well for the most part. Um, but I want to talk today and just have a little conversation, a little, a little back and forth. Right now, it's it's love, love uh, about a little tit, um, a tit. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, about adaptations, specifically adaptations of stories that go from one medium or one genre to another and i just i kind of want to i want to talk about two examples that i've recently um consumed i want to discuss my thoughts on them and i want to discuss why i think adaptations are either successful or unsuccessful does that sound fun this sounds good yeah sounds all right sweet so the first the first thing i wanted to say is that with an adaptation 
What I'm kind of referring to is uh, you have a story that is written in the book, and they decide to turn it into a TV show or a movie. Like, it's an adaptation of something. And also, it goes the other way, too. I mean, there are plenty of Buffy the Vampire Slayer comics and books out there, even though it started as a TV show first. So, those things... I've recently know. started watching that show. I do like that show. It grows on you. It's a little, little, little rough in the beginning, but it really grows on you. It's very 90s in the beginning. Very 90s in the beginning. As far as adaptations go, I feel like of the successful adaptations that I've seen... There's really two good formulas, and there's a third wild card. Uh, and I want to talk about the two good ones first, and then we can talk about the wild card. But that one's just a little more for fun. The first way to do a good adaptation, in my opinion, is word for word, pound for pound. And you can't always do that depending on what you're adapting. And I think when you make that decision, you're making the decision for a specific audience. And I think the people adapting... Uh, the story from the first meeting to the second have to know that and understand that that's what they're doing. So the example that I'm giving for that word for word, like shot for shot adaptation would actually be uh, the Sandman on audible, the, the, the um, audio book adaptation of the Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Oh, you listened to that. Did I, did I, I saw that on a billboard one day when I was driving. Did I tell you about it or did you, you, you just listened to it? No, no, I, I didn't know you saw it on a billboard, but I was, I was really stoked when they announced they were going to do it. Um, James McAvoy, who's like one of my favorite actors, period, uh, is the voice of Morpheus. And um, to go a million steps further, we all know my big obsession with Neil Gaiman. He's the narrator of his own story. That's awesome. That's awesome. And he, I don't know if you've ever ever heard him speak or ever heard him read. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. Great narrator. It's just deep, beautiful voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's got that nice British voice. It's it's great. And so um, I was really hesitant because we all also know uh, my feelings on audiobooks. Uh, nothing against them personally, just not something that I normally do. Just that you personally hate them. Yeah, I just think anyone who who listens to them should personally stop. But I, I said, you know what? I'll do it. I'll listen to the audiobook. I'll see how it is. And I listened to the first chapter, which is like almost an hour. I think it's 55 minutes. And I was just sitting there and I was like, wow. Wow. Because it's, it's, it's less of an audiobook and more of like a, a teleplay, like a radio play, like an audio play. Like it is very well acted. Um... They, they have to do some of those radio tricks where, uh, you know, you kind of have someone narrating or, um, what's that guy doing over there? Oh, it looks like he's doing this. You know, like, not like how people talk, but how you have to write for audio. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it is almost line for line, shot for shot. Uh, they don't, they didn't modernize it because that was a fear a lot of people had is that they were going to update it and make it take place in 2020, 2019. Uh, they didn't do that whatsoever. Uh, it still takes place in the 80s like it's supposed to. And my God. It is just good. The, the The writing is amazing because obviously it follows the original story. Uh, like I said, the lines are, are you know, the, the lines people are given are ripped directly from the, the, the graphic novel. Um, and I think it is a prime example of adapting a story from one medium to another. And this is a weird way. This is a weird transfer. You know, this isn't a book to a movie. This is a graphic novel to an audiobook. Yeah, it's almost like the it's like the almost the opposite direction. Yeah, it's like it's usually things get adapted to be more accessible or more visual. Yes. Or shorter length or something like that. But to go the opposite way, that's really interesting. Yes. And so I like I said, I think it's very successful. I know it's one of the most successful audiobooks uh, Audible has created. You said accessible. I feel like nowadays the audiobook game is a little more accessible than graphic novels. Could be totally wrong about that, but especially one that was printed that's in the fair. 80s. I guess what I meant was just like in terms of like Vi- like visual visualization visibility yes. yeah how digestible it is like a, a graphic novel is still pretty like you can see the action that's happening you can read the word bubbles you don't have to work as hard for it 
I guess that's kind of what more I was talking about, like going from like one of the most visual mediums to one that's completely lacking it. It's all audio. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think uh, I think one of the biggest differences, and this is what makes it so interesting that they were able to adapt it this way, and you know the direction you're talking about. Uh, there's a thing you can do with visual means where you're looking at one thing, but you're being told another. So like in a movie... Uh, yes, I call someone... that the Albus Dumbledore effect. You're looking exactly. at Albus Dumbledore, but you're <laughs> hearing my voice. <laughs> <laughs> you're hearing my voice, but it's actually Albus Dumbledore. We actually switched bodies. You know, I mean, you can watch a you can watch a show and you can have someone saying like, I didn't mean for it to end up like this. And then, you know, something is happening. And you're like, oh, these are two different narratives I'm being given right now, but obviously they intertwine. You can't do that in an audiobook. You can't really do that in uh, a novel, really. You know, because you can only read one word at a time. And Sandman does that pretty often where you kind of have, you know, one person giving a narrative over something else that's happening. And then, you know, they kind of intertwine. Um, so you kind of really challenge yourself to have to get away from using that trick and that storytelling method to one that's a lot more linear or one that's a lot more straightforward. And uh, wow, it's, it's just great. And so uh, I'm really interested and I don't have a lot a lot of profound things to say about this particular thing, but I'm really interested in the idea of taking, you know, the challenges and limitations that one uh, artistic medium has for storytelling and how those limitations either are good to translate to another one or, you know, are like a strength or become a weakness down the line. And, um, you know, I just, I just, I, I really think all of that is interesting. Like I said, I, I guess I haven't done enough thinking about it to know what the strengths are, but, you know, obviously there were things about Sandman that became strengths. Um, that allowed it to turn into something that you would not expect it to turn into. And I think a year or two from now, we're going to have a TV show on Netflix. So, boom, we're going to get it adapted mm-hmm. another way. And hopefully it's just... Right. If it's if it's just as good as the audiobook, it'll win many awards. If it's half as good, it'll be an amazing show. <laughs> I think um, I, I think it really works for Sandman because like a lot of comics rely heavily on the visual and like that yeah. to kind of connect it. But when you have Neil Gaiman writing it, the, the you can kind of strip everything away and just leave the words and it's still, you know, incredibly enjoyable. I'm interested to hear what your what your second form of adaptation is because honestly this doesn't really sound like a one for one shot for shot remake to me because of what you have to go through to change it. When I think of like shot for so, shot, I think of like the Watchmen movie where it's like just that literally is panel for shot panel. for shot. Yeah. Um, so what I would say, the, the reason I say it's one for one is because there aren't major story elements that are changed. Nothing's changed in the story. The storytelling okay. has changed, but the story itself is the same. Characters are the same. Okay, I think so, it's told in the same okay, order. So if it's not, it's story. told like one issue off, but that's really not a big deal. Okay. Um, all right. So, so this first adaptation is if you watch the first one, you get to lord it over your friends and say like, oh, well, actually, and talk about what's going to happen. I got you. Got yeah. You. The anti-Game of Thrones approach. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And so when I, when I was mentioning like specific audiences, I feel like when you do something that is pound for pound, um, you may or may not be catering more to the fan base that is already there. And I think that's mm-hmm. a passionate fan base and, you know, one that is more likely to consume, but it might not be as wide. And, um... I guess it really all depends on what your intention for the adaptation is. Are you attempting to get more people to like this this property, or are you attempting to make these hardcore fans happy because you know they've lauded over this work for so long and now they're finally getting it in other mediums? I really don't know what the answer would be there. If I'm strictly like use like trying to make money off of this, then I would do you know I would be trying to bring this story to a medium that is used by people who wouldn't normally like audiobooks or podcasts 
would not be the same crossover. Like people who listen to audiobooks on their way into work are not traditionally the same people who are going to be reading comic books. So, yeah. but this is a very literary book. This is, you know, really, he's got interesting concepts and thoughts and it reads like a novel. So yeah, I'm going to just put that over to them. I'm going to put it on their plate so that they can, they would, who, who they, people would not normally come across it in a bookstore would then, would then see it. So I guess that's, that's what I would guess the, if I was doing a, a shot for shot remake, I'd be like, what format can I put this into where it's just going to reach a new audience who wouldn't normally do it because maybe they don't access its original medium. So I think I, I think that's something that causes a lot of problems, what you're saying right now. And I, I don't think it's anybody's fault. But I, I, I feel personally that when you decide you're going to adapt it with the intention to, get a, a, to grow the audience, I think that typically speaking, concessions are made whether or not they have to be uh, because people will say things like, well, you just can't do this in this medium. You just can't do this mm -hmm. for blank. You know what I mean? Like, well, that that's form of storytelling or that type of story doesn't get told in this medium. And I, people say that. I mean, that happens. And so I think the it, I think that's why oftentimes a lot of adaptations can go sour and can run sour really quickly is because of the fact that the fans, the hardcore fans, the people who have been reading Sandman since it first came out long before I was born, you know, they're expecting to see panel for panel. They've loved this thing for like 30 years. However, you know, they've... They, <laughs> That well of money has basically already been run dry. You can only buy the, you know, the annotated version of Sandman leatherbound so many times. But is it worth it to make the concessions maybe with storytelling for any property to make it more widely acceptable? And then, you know, what does that say to the fans who feel like you're being cheated out of something because it's not the story that they know? Um, and I think that's some, some, sometimes you got to burn the underbrush to, to to make the forest healthier and grows. You got to do it. Yeah, but you know, as a as um, you know, you know, as a fan who likes it before it gets popular, and you can be a hipster about it, um, are you getting, you know, thrown under under the bus or sold short? You know, are you is that property selling out for for popularity or for money? Um, and I think that's I think that's really where the conversation of the whole adaptation thing happens. I think that's I think that's the conversation that that needs to be had. Um, so my my example of one that the story sticks really close, I would say Sandman. Personally, I think they're shot for shot. I think they're great. Um, the, my one for the one that changes things, but is still a very good adaptation, in my opinion, anyone can fight me on this. It's totally fine. Uh, would actually be the walking dead. Okay. So my argument for that is Sandman, though it has many horror elements is more of a fantasy story. Uh, I've made the argument on the, uh, very recent, a podcast about something, uh, about Dune episode that I was in the two parter. I made the argument that fantasy is a very moral genre and deals with morality uh, and when things are moral, maybe it's not, it doesn't really behoove you to change the story around because that might change some of the moral elements and some of the things that you learn from it. Um, not that I think Sandman is chock full of, uh, morality or anything like that, but I'm just saying typically it's a fantasy does, but walking dead on the other hand is horror and, um, scares only come when you're not expecting them. You know, you can't be scared by something you're expecting typically. And so, um, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because when I was a kid, I used to love a walk, the, the Walking Dead. When I, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I, I watched it from the first episode. I watched it religiously. If you're talking about fandoms, that's probably the first fandom I was like ever in. Uh, I used hmm. to watch The Talking Dead every Sunday night. I had uh, five Chris people Hardwick. at school uh, that I would text with during the the episodes during the commercials because you know I wouldn't be on my phone while I was watching it. I was glued to it. I loved it. Um, Sunday nights, man. Sunday nights on AMC. That's where it was at. 
And then Monday morning, you'd go to school and talk to your friends about it. Like it, it was, it was big. Like that was, that was a, a, a fan community that really meant a lot to me because it was just like, man, this is this thing that I love. And it didn't really get popular to like the third season. Um, no. And when it did get popular, of course I was a hipster about it. Um, but I had never really read the comics. And at the time I wasn't super into comic books. Like I didn't hate them, but I wasn't really into them. Didn't really have a money, a lot of money to afford to read them. Um, so I was just watching the walking dead and I loved it. And I, I thought it was great. Loved the characters, loved the effects, loved all of it. Um, truth be told, I stopped watching after season eight because I felt like that was a really good stopping point. And when all the news came out about Andrew Lincoln leaving and with, uh, Chandler Riggs, the guy that played Carl with, with him leaving. And then you heard that Maggie was going to leave. I was just like, man, what's the point? Like <laughs> there's a lot of big characters that are not going to be around anymore. Um, so I dipped out after season eight. I thought it was a great ending. I thought Jeffrey Dean Morgan playing, um, Negan was amazing. So I, I I love that show, uh, and then Negan, that's that guy that I see at uh, MegaCon every MegaCon, time. MegaCon, yeah, right? that's uh, every uh, normie dude at MegaCon. You see nothing but Negans and Harley Quinns when you go to MegaCon. Yeah. I went to a used bookstore. I of course am mall. coming dressed as Albus Dumbledore because I have no choice because I woke up like him on that day. Well, are you dressed like Albus Dumbledore if you are Albus Dumbledore? That's what I'm, I have no choice. I, ha- I, I can only be dressed as the body that I'm inhabiting. You're actually the body of Albus Dumbledore, but dressed like Jared Leto Joker. <laughs> With a leather jacket and a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. Just to exactly. Fit. Yeah, why not be everything? Um, meanwhile, I'm Deadpool because no one else is Deadpool. And he can be so random. It's so cool. Uh, <laughs> my God, you're Negan Deadpool. My God. <laughs> I'm Negan Pool. Uh, I walked into the local uh, used bookstore at my mall. And uh, the guy there had a fat stack of uh, Walking Dead trades. And, uh, you know, they collect like six, six issues at a time. And, you know, trade paperbacks, if you're going for cost, are probably the second most cost-efficient way to read comics. The first would be the omnibuses, omnibuy, however you pronounce it, because that collects everything, and it's, you know, only like 100 bucks for many, many issues. Uh, but he had a bunch of trades, and, you know, they're still on the shelves new at most bookstores for 15 or 17 bucks a pop, depending on the trade. Uh, my guy was selling them for 6 and they looked like they had never been read. So, of course, I was like, well, you know, I've never read The, I've never read, uh, the Walking Dead I'll just pick him up, whatever. I'll pick up the first six. I'll see if I like it. If I don't, I just won't keep going. You know, he, he has them here. And no, you know, once you buy one through six, no one's going to come in and be like, oh my God, I needed seven through 12. Like, <laughs> that's kind of unreasonable to think yeah. that. So I was like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of putting this guy in a vice here, you know, uh, buying the, these first ones because if I don't buy them, you're going to buy no one, one through six. Will. Here's what you do buy one through six, go away, read them, become Alvis Dumbledore, escape the body, you're back to yourself. Then you go back you go. to the mall. And this guy's like running around through the mall, clutching him, just begging people to buy him, just begging the perfume merchants to buy mm-hmm. him. And then he sees you, and he runs up to you on his, he's down on his knees, begging you to take him. Then you drive that price into the dirt. You take him off his hand for cheap. Well, they were already uh, six bucks a pop. That's that's super no, cheap. No, 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 no. Drive it down. Drive it way down. Well, you know what? Six dollars for a thing I can buy new for fifteen. I'll take it. So I read the first six, and I was like, man, those are a lot better than than I kind of expected them to be. And I was like, man, I really did like this this whole Walking Dead story and world, didn't I? Eh, I'll read the next ones. Long story short, almost done on the 21st trade. Kind of injected them into my veins very quickly. And um, because of that, I was like, well, you know, I want to go back and I just want to watch like some of the good episodes. And so I, I've been re-watching some of the episodes. And uh, I'm six episodes into season nine. I figured I'd give it a shot. Not as good as where it should have ended. It should have ended season eight. The ninth one is still good. It just kind of felt like, you know, it feels like there's not something they're building towards anymore but the comic and the the show are very different in uh you know not a spoiler because they've been out forever 
in the comic, Andrea is alive. I think she makes it to the end, and she gets with Rick. Carl is alive the whole time. Judith dies. Uh, the the baby literally. Lori is running away from the governor and gets shot, and the bullet passes through her and hits the baby. Like, it's mm-hmm. gruesome. Uh, there are a lot of things that are different between the two shows. The, the, they don't take place in the same order for them. I mean, for the most part, it's the same order, but there are little things here and there that get changed. A lot of characters die in one that don't die in the other. A lot of characters survive in one that don't survive in the other. Um, so I, I feel like the Walking Dead TV show is a separate entity from the Walking Dead comic book with the same characters, same character traits, but just told in a different way, almost as if the show is some sort of warped retelling AU fanfic, just to bring it back to the mm. the point of the show. Uh, right. But I think it's very successful, and I think it's very well done, besides obviously the quality of the show being pretty top-notch, especially for something that's not on HBO or any you know premium streaming service. So I, I think that's a good example of something that can stray away, but still be very successful. And for the most part, I've never heard one of the comic book fans say that the show is bad because, you know, they're upset that it was adapted. I know a lot of people who think that the show's good, but it's just nothing like the, the comic book. And um, I think you kind of have to draw a line there. And I, I think, you know, I, I think I can present, or maybe I, I haven't argued as well as I'd hoped, but I think I could articulate two opposite ends of the adaptation spectrum that are both successful. And I just, I, you know, I wanted your thoughts on it. I, I wanted to know whether or not we could come up with any uh, examples of bad adaptations. I mean... Adaptations are everywhere. Everything's an adaptation. You know, Nowadays, especially, yeah. yeah. Everything. So, like, everything that's good is a good adaptation. Everything's bad is a bad adaptation. Fuck Porky Pig over here. So, <laughs> what? What about uh, what about The Walking Dead? Do you think they did successfully? Like, what 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 changes did they make? Like, how, how do you toe that line? How do you toe that line where you can like please new fans and you don't make the old fans mad yeah and and you just do your own thing like how do you do that um so i think what they did and like i said i think this has a lot to do with the horror aspect of it i think the horror genre and the 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 surprise nature of the storytelling was everything for the changes that were made because Hmm. you know um let's go with the negan kill when he first comes in comic books bashes glenn's brain in and that was a really good place for glenn's character to stop because among other things, it gave everybody more character motivation. It changed Maggie very much. And in the TV show, you get to the end of the season, and Abraham gets his head bashed in. Abraham's dead in the comics by that point. So you're kind of surprised. And at that point, you're like, man, Abraham's living on borrowed time. Uh, you know, who knows when he's going to go? Yeah, he definitely can't be safe. And and you're surprised because, well, you're like, man, this could have been anybody. I thought it was going to be Glenn because Glenn's the one that dies in the comics. But Abraham's still around, so it makes sense that it's him. But what are they going to do with Glenn now? And then they open up the next season, and boom, Glenn gets his, his, his brains bashed in with the bat. And that's a big surprise, again, because it's like, oh, my God, I thought it was just going to be Abraham, but now it's Glenn, too. Whoa. Like, I think there's that, that unexpected so like, nature that you have to but have. But almost like, almost like acknowledging the, the expectations, like knowing them. Yeah. Because I mean, I feel like so many, so many works when they start looking at what the fan expectations are, what the fan reactions are, they just immediately stumble and fall flat on their yeah. face. I mean, like, yeah. you don't have to look any further than Star Wars. Oh between, my god! You know, yeah. Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, like complete overcorrection or misreading. So how do you how do you do that? Like, how, do you just have a plan from the outset and like I don't care what the fans' expectations are? I know. Is it familiarity well, with the source material? Like, I know what my expectations would be, yeah. so here's what I'm doing. Or do you think you have to take that input from, like, social media and, and what people are saying and, and, like, develop it real time as people are reacting to the actual work? 
I think this I think this is a problem that we're going to only be facing more and more as a society because we live in a society where when we have more Joker adaptations because we live exa- in a society. We will have more of those. That's that is for certain. You know, we have we've had this conversation multiple times on the show. Death of the author. What um, if the Joker woke up in the body of Elvis Dumbledore? Dumbledore? It's a, it's the Osimo three thousand. It's like if Jared Leto is the Joker and he wakes up in the body of Albus Dumbledore. Um, <laughs> but I, I I feel like you can kind of go about storytelling, especially blockbuster storytelling, one of two ways uh, in in modern pop culture, American pop culture. And that is utter fan service, a.k.a. the Avengers, or uh, director-driven, artistically-driven storytelling, a.k.a. Zack Snyder. And the issue with trying to have something that appeals to everybody is the moment that you take an artistic direction that is specific is the moment you're going to alienate people who wouldn't like that artistic direction to begin with. My example for that would be, I already said Zack Snyder, but let's just say Wes Anderson. He has a very specific style. He does things very specifically. He has a, a certain pacing. The characters are all, all talk a certain way. And people who like Wes Anderson love Wes Anderson. But there are people that don't. And, you you know, you're not going to make a big blockbuster film that makes a billion dollars with Wes Anderson. I mean, you're just not. But at the same time, you understand that there's a lot of artistic reflection in what Really quick, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm checking the box office numbers for Fantastic Mr. Fox to throw it in your face. Please do. Yeah, here we go. Isle of Dogs, ten billion domestic box. No, I'm just kidding. Ten million. <laughs> it was actually one trillion domestic box office for uh, Isle of Dogs. I'm not saying anything wrong about Wes Anderson. I'm not saying anything good or bad about him. I'm just saying the moment you become director driven, and the moment that it has like a specific voice, I think is the moment that you really limit yourself. And I feel like with most mediums that are not TV or film, you are as a creator given the opportunity to have that voice. And then you can kind of have like a cult of personality build up around you. You you can have a certain thing that you want to say, and that's fine. Especially yeah, because you're you not get having... Bill Murray to be in all your movies. Yeah, exactly. But you know you're you're really limiting the corporate interests because they're not expecting a big return of investment. So you can kind of do whatever you want. On the flip side, uh, the moment that you want to become big, I'm not saying you lose all artistic direction because I would be the first to tell you that I think the Russos are the best directors that have been in the MCU, and they are very different than the rest. At the same time, I feel like you're almost limiting yourself because you, you are kind of like giving yourself up to this corporate direction or this this need to make a lot of money. And so I feel like with The Walking Dead, the comic book, there's a very specific way that Robert Kirkman writes, a very specific way that um, he does things, a very specific pacing that's just to him. Um, it's, it's very fast paced compared to a lot of writers today. And a lot of people like it. A lot of people swear by Robert Kirkman. And he's a great writer. On the same on the same hand, though, you know, you, you can only adapt his his speaking so much. Now, for a character like Negan, you can do it word for word because Negan can be a character. You know, Negan uh, in the in the show Jeffrey Dean Morgan, one of the best lines is, "Oh, it's going to be pee pee pants city," and that's that's directly from the comic book. However, there are other times where you know a specific way someone's talking might not really work for television, and uh, I think. You know, you asked, is there like a specific person with a specific vision for the show? Well, there was early on, Greg Nicotero. And, um, you know, he is a special effects makeup artist. He's been many of the zombies. And he was the guy that was like, all right, I'm going to come in and I'm going to produce this thing because I like it. And boy, what did we get? We got this this driven. The first season, I think, is really good. I, I think it, by far probably the best season of the show. Maybe not by far, but it, it's certainly probably my favorite. 
And I think there's a clear direction and a clear story that that first season is telling. Um, and then that's when they started having more cooks in the kitchen and it, it became a little different. Uh, but, you know, we, we talk about Dave Filoni all the time with Star Wars. That guy has a very clear picture for Star Wars. And I think it's much better than Kathleen Kennedy's. Um, so I, I, I don't know. That's my take on why it's successful. That's my take on why those things work the way that they do. What do you think? What, uh, what, what do you think about this? Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense like, if you have someone at the helm who really loves the material, they're going to honor yeah. it and treat it with respect, and, and they're going to balance the fan service with also pushing it to new places. Honestly, you should just get fan fiction writers to helm this stuff. It'll be amazing. I mean, but sometimes. What is the uh, what is the original creator's involvement in both of these uh, so kind of uh, examples you mentioned? Like, I know, obviously, oh, well, Neil Gaiman's <laughs> narrating. Yeah, and then and he, Robert Kirkman, what is he doing with Walking Dead? Does that have an impact with Robert the, Kirkman to have the helped, original author? <laughs> Robert Kirkman helped write most of the early scripts and was on set for a lot of the filming. There you go. Okay. So, do you think I, that I, there's a relationship there where it's like, don't let the original creator do the new adaptation, but what have them have input, be involved? Control? Yeah, what, what do they do? Be involvement? How do you, where do you draw that line? No, the I, director I, wants to do one thing, and Robert Kirkman's like, I really want the pee pee pants line in there. <laughs> the pee pee pants city needs to be there. I think this. I think this gets to a broader conversation that we are always having on the show, which is: Does the story belong to the creator? Or does the story belong to the consumer? And obviously, once it goes out there, there's only so much the creator can do after that point. But in the production process, I think it's reasonable to at least hope that the creator still has some sort of input, and it can still belong to them a little bit, creatively speaking. And so, you know, I guess as long as they're there to be, I I don't know if. Uh, 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 a point of contact? I, I don't know. I, I guess as long as they're there to have input, it seems like it is successful. That's a good good question, a good point you brought up. I didn't really think about that. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's why those things are successful, because they understand their story better than the people adapting it, but maybe the people adapting it understand the medium they're adapting it to better. So when it becomes a collaboration, mm-hmm. you're getting a better product. And that could be it. And that I mean, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why sometimes comic book movies fall so flat. Uh, because the people adapting them are are working for a corporation that bought the property to make money off of, and maybe the people who you know are writing the stories, maybe you know, yeah, oh, everyone loves Batman, but you know, maybe you didn't, you know, maybe you haven't read hundreds of hours of Batman comics, you know, and you know, you you think you just kind of have the general stuff going on. So that could be it. I mean, I think that's that's a really good point you bring up, and <clears throat> my example of a bad adaptation that I was going to give that was really a faux bad adaptation was going to be Game of Thrones. And mm. the reason why I say a faux bad adaptation is because when, when did it, when did that show fall off for you? Like when did, when did you kind of start to think like, ah, they're slipping? They're slipping. Like what season, what season did it start to feel like, ah, this isn't the show that I knew. I mean, pro- probably when Daenerys first comes back to Westeros. So probably like yeah, season seven, I'm like, this is like, I was like, I've been waiting a long time for this, but I don't even know if I want it. This doesn't seem like the show to me. So because didn't, the, I guess it was all about pacing when I started picking up. Don't the books only go to season six so far? Like where season six went? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely when it gets, when it gets off book it is when the pacing goes off for me. And when the pacing yeah. goes off for me, that's when the Game of Thrones kind of loses its, its allure. Yeah, so I, as someone who has watched two, the first two seasons of the show and has never read the novels, I am, really have no place to talk about as far as like whether or not it was an authentic adaptation or good adaptation. But you know, I've been told 
George R. R. Martin spends a lot of time talking about dynasties and families and just kind of runs on with histories, which works for the book. Wasn't going to work for the TV show, which is why they didn't do it and why it was action and wiener driven. And oh, that's right, because season six. Um, that's not. Uh, what season did they go off the book? Because season six, I'm just looking at some of the episodes. Battle it was either four Bastards, or six. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Battle of the Bastards is like one of like the last like great like television events. We're just like, oh my god, this is unbelievable. Yeah, but you see, it the the show falls off when they're not adapting it anymore, and all the criticism that people give, what is it, Dave and Dan, D and D, all the criticism mm-hmm. people give those guys, maybe they're just not good creative story, uh, creative writers on their own, but maybe they're great at, at adapting things. You know, maybe maybe right. they don't understand someone else's material. Um, oh, man. So I'm just looking back at old episodes, just like getting hyped. Season five, hard home, like, oh, unbelievable. So good. Yeah, but that that's isn't that directly from the books? And George R. R. Martin was a producer, an executive producer on that show. So here we go. The show is really good when the executive producer is the guy who created the books and is there while we're making it. And one of the reasons why he hasn't made the rest of the books. But the moment that he gives us Kate Blanchett to finish the show and we decide we don't want Kate Blanchett, uh, it's season it falls five. Off. Season season five. So yeah, season five is when I just. I'm sorry, I had to look this up. I don't remember. Yeah, you're good. Um, but yeah, there are some there are some fantastic. I mean, I enjoyed all of season six. So there there was a full season afterwards. But I mean that that show was a freight train of momentum and characters. So I guess you could say like George was giving them a lot of notes because he was writing that yeah. book of what you know because he kind of he had the architecture up they they mm-hmm. got all those notes and then as they went further and further that's a good example of as you, you literally can see a, a precipitous decline like there's yeah. a proportional relationship between leak you know straying from the written material and you know generally <laughs> regarded quality like what people would consider good or bad exactly so i i you know i, I feel like as far as we're talking with adaptations it's kind of in the topic of conversation I think I think Game of Thrones, to my understanding, again, really don't have any place to speak on it, but my understanding is it was a great adaptation. And then it became a terrible, uh, terribly written show. Terrible decisions. And that could definitely come from the fact that maybe the, the, the guys who were adapting it didn't really ever understand it, and they needed someone holding their hand. I know there's a clip that came out from, like, season one where they said that people aren't, you know, the general audience isn't smart enough to understand the kind of magic that George R. R. Martin wrote, so they just didn't put it in the show. Hmm. You know, maybe it could be a thing with target audience because that show is – sorry, people who are fans of the books first, but that show is the reason why the series is so popular. That show is going to be the reason why when he finally releases 7 and if he ever finally releases 8 – is it 6 and 7 or is it 7 and 8? Whatever the last two are, those are going to mm-hmm. be like some of the highest selling you know, novels of all time because of that show. It, they were not going to be if that show had not come out. It's true. It's like, oh, well, everyone now wants the real ending, the good ending. Okay, good. That's that's amazing. I hope you get it. So that's you know con- the topic of conversation is adaptations. I, I feel like the people writing them are writing fan fiction and and have to be very well versed in the medium that they're putting it into, and have to be uh, respectful of the thing that they're adapting. Uh, I think it's ridiculous to just be Disney and say, "Hey, we own this property. Uh, make it a TV show." Because I told you, writer, and you're getting paid because uh, I don't think there's any love there. Yeah, I mean, that's my two cents on the thing. As far as bad adaptations go, any video game movie. Find me a good one, I'll wait. Sonic. Pixels. Uh, Pokemon. Oh, you know what? That Pokemon movie was actually pretty good, but it's also a card game, so... (laughs) Oh, yeah, Canasta, the movie. Yeah, those don't count. It's still a game. (laughs) 
Clue the movie. Clue the movie. There you go. It's a game. People love that movie. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Assassin's Creed is getting another, like, a TV show. Ugh. Ugh. Why? <laughs> the, sh- the movie tanked. Because <laughs> it's adaptations, man. No one has any ideas. Now, I'm not looking forward to the Uncharted movie. Oh, yeah. That's going to be bad. It's going to be um, so bad. Tom Holland, really? Spider-Man's not I mean, that good. Could, Wake up, sheeple. Some, some, <laughs> some could argue that every uh, football game ever since Tecmo Bowl came out has been an adaptation of that video game i agree so i agree so i'll put that i'll put that forth um, i agree yeah i can yeah yeah every every nba game is an adaptation of uh or space jam is an adaptation of uh of nba jam yeah I, i'd say so uh the only other adaptation that i can think of that i think stands on its own merit and I, I haven't consumed either of these things it's just what i know about the background again i'm very ignorant when it comes to this um and part of it is just so i can i can say i'm excited to read it um akira the the manga uh, that turned into an anime, the anime movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to get his name wrong, so give me a second. Katsuhiro Otomo, the, uh, I believe he was the writer and the, uh, the penciler for the, the manga. He helped develop the anime, but he helped to develop the anime in the middle of writing the book series. And so, mm. um, ha- again, having never read them, just know what, you know, just from reading about it and watching videos about it. Apparently, I think the anime is in five volumes, or the manga is in like five volumes or so, and the movie is like the first two volumes and then the fifth one. It's it's kind of like really skips hmm. over a bunch of stuff, but Akira as a movie is considered a seminal classic anime. It's considered uh, one of the things that helped make cyberpunk super popular in the United States. But to my understanding, having never consumed them, the book and the movie are two totally different things. But Katsuhiro Otomo help develop both of them. So again, we have this weird adaptation, but I, I guess manga to anime is very common, especially nowadays. Yeah. But yeah. you get my point. I mean, that's that that's pretty rare. I mean, that's like a savant who's able to do both. I think I think it's I I think people like take offense. It's like, well, if Neil Gaiman's such a great author, he, he should be great at directing movies. It's like, yeah. no, it's, it's okay if you're not good <laughs> yeah. at that. It's a totally separate skill. It's a different artistic medium. Um what's really cool is the the guy that wrote Akira, uh he wrote it in the original manga style. Uh, you know, reading from right to left with the pages and all that stuff and the panels. He so badly wanted it to be popular in the U.S. that he personally flipped all the panels, helped translate everything to English, and um, you can read it like a regular uh, book you would read in English. Uh, So he actually wanted to make it super accessible for Western audiences. Um, Hmm. So I bought the first one. I'm very stoked to read it. Uh, I'm very excited to get to it at some point when I'm done with Walking Dead. I only only own up to the 22nd one because that's where... Uh, the guy's col- collection of cheap books stopped, and I'm too cheap to buy the rest. So um, <laughs> nice. I'll be done with it soon. So opening topic, which is basically the whole entire length of the show. Ryan, any thoughts or final opinions on this? Uh, I'm dying to hear. I have no thoughts. I am become Dumbledore. I have no more thoughts. <laughs> I am become Dumbledore. Harry's a Potters. Uh, all right, sweet. Well, let's do the fic because that is the show that we're doing. Yep, yep. So we'll send. We'll we'll get you. Sent, sent on your way with a nice little fan fiction here. Um, and again, as we discussed at the top of the program, I uh, got distracted reading fan fiction that I was never going to actually present on the show because it was way too long just for <laughs> little zinger lines. So Alex has generously donated from his uh, um, his vault one of his selected fan fics. I'll, I'll give you my token when I see you. We both get three tokens. and, and we, we do. Can, we can call out a favor. So... 
yeah. Now he has four tokens to my three, which is a very, very deadly position to be in. If he gets five to my two, we call that um, we call that the debtor's dilemma. Uh, and then mm-hmm. if it gets to six to one, well, then I'm you know we're basically we're basically in trouble. So yeah. I've got to, I've got to earn my keep around here. But uh, thank you for getting this fanfic for me. This one is called The Man at the Gate. The Man at the Gate. It is actually blending together The Walking Dead and yep. Harry Potter, two that we've covered extensively. So there you go. We've never done a Walking um, Dead fic, have we? I don't think we do. I think this is our first Walking this Dead. This is the fic. first one. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to do any fic first, any fandom first, you have to put Harry Potter into it. Yeah, yeah, we got, you got to ease people into it. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's like I don't know if people are going to like Spider Man. Let's put Iron Man in ninety percent of this movie. <laughs> Let's just make it Iron Man Junior. <laughs> Iron Man Junior. Okay, here we go. Or, or, it's, or it's like it's, it's like I don't know if anyone's going to want to read nine eleven fan fiction, and it's like, but what if we put Harry Potter in it? It's like, what if we sweeten right. the deal with Harry Potter? <laughs> Everyone hates coconut. Let's dip that stuff in some chocolate and sell it as an almond joy. Everybody exactly hates Pearl Harbor. But what if we put Albus Dumbledore on the one of the boats? We can't get Albus. What if we get Albus in the body of James Franco? Can we do that? I'm in. Let's do it. Call Michael in, Bay. We're making in. this. Done. Done. Get the body transmogrifier done. Fire it up. Let's get him in there. Okay, this, uh, again, is called The Man at the Gate. It's for teen and up audiences. We never disguise, uh, dis- you know, talk about the ratings because this, this is a family show. This is a six-year-old plus show. Um, but this is for teen and up audience. Man at the Gate, Harry Potter, Walking Dead. Archive of Our Own is the forum, and it's uh, by King Sholto. Summary. A rather irate man shows up at the prison gate demanding to see Daryl. Rick was sitting in a cell talking to Daryl when Glenn came running in full speed. There's a guy at the gate screaming for you, the young man panted. Rick stood already making his way out of the prison and heard Daryl grab his crossbow and do the same. What does he want? Is he with Woodbury? Glenn shook his head. I don't think so, man. He won't say anything other than he wants him out there now. Him? I thought you said he was yelling for me, Rick asked, confused. Not you, dude. Daryl, Glenn explained. Me? Who the hell would be hollering for me? Ain't no one here I except Merle. And he'd know better than to go yelled around the gates bringing in walkers. Daryl drawled. Yeah, he's bringing in walkers, killing them too, with this big-ass broadsword. It's insane. Broadsword? Daryl asked at the same time that Rick asked. Friend or enemy? I don't know, man. It doesn't seem too friendly. Seems pissed, actually. They'd finally made it to the doors, exiting the cell block into the yards. As soon as they got outside, they could hear the man shouting, Daryl Dixon! Get your ass out here and let me in! Now! Daryl Dixon? Mm. <laughs> Daryl Dixon. Oh, I guess he's. He might, I assume he's from the Harry Potter world. I'll. I'll try to channel my inner Albus. Oh hell! Daryl muttered. And if Rick didn't know any better, he could swear the hunter had ducked behind him to hide. Daryl, where'd you? Where? Yeah. Daryl, you know that guy. Don't you hide, you bastard! I just saw you hide behind that cop. The man continued to shout. As they drew closer to the guard, he could see the other members of the group had filtered in from their places in the prison, drawn to the unusual scene. Rick couldn't get a clear look at the man from this distance, but he appeared to be a shorter young man, and in between shouting, was wielding a huge sword like he had been born to it. Yep, I know him, Daryl said from behind Rick. You might as well let him in. The only reason he's not already is because he doesn't want to get shot. Daryl, Carol exclaimed, we can't just let anyone in here. 
He ain't dangerous, Daryl replied, just as the man beheaded three walkers with one slash of his sword. Much. The Dixon tacked on. I know, right? The Dixon tacked on. The Dixon! Daryl, I swear to Merlin, if I'm not in there in the next minute, you'll regret it, the man broke in. Daryl huffed, but yelled back, I'm working on it! In a quieter voice, he mumbled, You damn evil voodoo bastard. I heard that, you dumb redneck! Daryl looked sheepish and rubbed at the back of his neck as a small grin worked its way to his face. Rick was Rick raised an eyebrow at Daryl's behavior. Daryl, Rick, Carol's... Ugh, let me try that again. <laughs> Daryl, Carol's right. We can't just be letting in strange men here, Rick tried to reason, but Daryl set him in a glare. No one gave you any trouble when you let Michonne in, I'm telling you. He ain't dangerous. Trust me. Rick stared at what he had come to think of as his right-hand man and knew that he did trust him. With a nod at Daryl, he motioned for the gate to be opened. Within seconds, the outer gate was sliding open. The man outside the gate quickly dispatched the walkers and walked inside. When the outer gate slid shut, the inner began to slide open. As soon as there was enough space, the man strode quickly into the compound. He marched up the path with eyes only for Daryl, completely ignoring the guns that were being pointed at him. As he got closer, Rick noticed that the man was in his early to mid-twenties, eh? and was rather small to be handling the weapon that was now sheathed along his back. As the man walked up, he continued to shout, About damn time! Do you know how long I've been out there? My sword is covered in zombie guts now, Daryl. Are you happy now? I leave the country for a week, and look what happens. I just want to see you. I just want to go see my brother, Harry, you said. I'll be back before you even know I'm gone, you said. Rick could hear a fake, ah, Rick, Rick could hear a faint British accent to the man's words as he got even closer. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get back here from across the ocean, Daryl? All airplanes grounded. All ports shut down. I finally made it back after a month and you weren't there. Where are you? Still in Georgia. Do you know what I had to do to get to you? The, mar- the man was standing toe-to-toe with an abashed-looking Daryl, poking him in the chest. Everyone was loosely standing around the pair, just gaping at the unusually quiet hunter. Isn't Daryl not allowed? Whatever. Everyone knew the man had a temper and didn't like to be touched. Daryl's not talking his mouth off? This is weird. But he was just standing there. Rick decided to get some answers. Sir, why don't you just calm down there? What's your name? Rick asked in a soothing tone. The only thing this accomplished was to give the short man an opportunity to whirl around and glare at him, as if just realizing Rick was standing there. Don't you talk to me like I'm some sort of nutter. You have no idea what I've been through to get to this man, he snapped. Now, now... Everyone's been through a difficult time. Why, I woke up in the world like this after a coma. Took me days of searching to find my wife and kid. All I'm saying is maybe you should just calm down a bit. Days? Days? You bastard! The man was cut off as Daryl came up behind him and threaded his arms around the shorter man's waist. Rick watched, stunned, as Daryl leaned down to rest his chin on the man's shoulder. I'm safe, Harry, Daryl said lowly. But, but nothing. I'm safe. Daryl cut him off. The man, Harry, turned in Daryl's arms, so they were face to face, and Rick noticed all traces of angers had bled away. You weren't there. I was so worried. You know I can take care of myself, darling, Daryl replied, and Rick's eyes bugged out of his head when he realized where this was going. <laughs> he looked around at some of the others. Their expressions ranged from confused to outraged. <laughs> I like how they're mad. They're like, what? Furious. What? <laughs> People are like, oh, you got to be kidding me. 
Rick's suspicions were confirmed when Harry raised up on his toes to press his mouth against the hunters. The kiss was returned with fervor and quickly became heated. I love how kisses like quickly become heated in front of like crowds of 30 people. Yeah, like 100 people. Yeah, it's like at the end of uh, Talladega Nights where the Ricky Bobby just makes out with the other driver. Several of the others were gaping at the sight, but most had turned away. <laughs> Rick coughed, hoping to make the couple aware of their company. But when Daryl just lifted Harry off the ground and the smaller uh. man's legs wrapped around the hunter's <laughs> waist... <laughs> oh my god oh, this is great um, he, Rick gave up subtly okay alright that's enough guys Daryl the man just waved his hand in a dismissing gesture in Rick's direction not breaking contact with the other man when he started hearing breathy moans Rick got serious Glenn snickered behind the pair and called out hey Daryl you got something on your face man hey Rick shouted Daryl groaned and pulled back still not releasing his grip on the other man's ass he leaned in and whispered into Harry's ear. When the black-haired man non- nodded, Daryl lifted his head to look at Rick. Uh, we'll be going in the back a little bit, the hunter told him. Harry looked over his shoulder at Rick with a huge grin on his swollen lips. More than a little bit, he said with a wink. Then there was a pop and they were gone, completely, as in not there anymore. What the hell? Rick yelled. <laughs> It was hours, it was hours before they showed up again, this time in the prison cafeteria, while the group was eating and discussing the day's events. Some of the others proposed sending out a search party for the missing Daryl, but Rick assured them that it seemed like the man knew exactly what he was doing. When the pair appeared in front of them with another pop, the group was startled. Daryl's arm was wrapped around Harry's shoulder, and the shorter man's arm were wrapped around the hunter's waist. They were both grinning like idiots, and Harry waved at the group. Sorry about before. <laughs> I've been kind of a mess the last few months. My name's Harry. Harry Potter Dixon. The end. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, with the amount I talked about Walking Dead and with you turning into Dumbledore, name me a better fic you could have read. I'll wait. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, there's probably a couple. Like, this is, what, what is happening here? What, what is this? <laughs> It's just like the oh Harry Potter god. Dixon. <laughs> Harry Potter Dixon. Oh my god, that's great. So I want to say yes. I was so I was looking for Walking Dead fanfic, and literally every single one has Daryl having sex with somebody. Someone. This one just happened to be Harry Potter, but it's like uh, most of them are Rick and Daryl. Almost every oh, like ninety nine percent are Rick Daryl. And then I don't know if you remember. I think it was in season four. Uh, Daryl and Beth had a thing for like two episodes and like, man, everybody wanted that. And then Beth died. Hmm. But there are a few Death Barrel called, uh, Death Barrel, uh, Beth Daryl called Barrel as that's their ship name. But besides that, it's pretty much all, uh, it's all Daryl and Rick. So I, I wanted one that wasn't Daryl Rick. So we got, uh, Daryl and Harry Potter. We got, uh, Potter Dixon. We got Potter Dixon. Yeah. Dude, like the, <laughs> just like sliding his arms like through his, uh. Like Harry Potter, Harry Potter Dixon has his hands on his waist and then, you know, he just like threads his arms in there and rests his head on his, his chin on his shoulder and he's like, I'm all right. And then they just like start going to town on each other. Yep. 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 It was tasteful. <laughs> yeah. But any thoughts on this? Uh, I thought it was hilarious, honestly. I, I, my biggest, you know, we say, uh, was it comments, criticisms, concerns? Uh, I'm going to add questions and the one I'm going to add is why? Uh, yes. The third, the third, the, the, the fourth Q questions. The other one is, uh, the first two are C's, so. Comments, criticisms, and then, quoi? The first three are C's. 
yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Why? Why write this? I, I, I. This is. I think this is going to be a question I'll always have for some fanfics. Is like, but why? Like, I, I was going to say like with SpongeBob, Bill Clinton, but I get that one. You know, I get that one. I don't get this one. So we, I, don't, I don't. Are we to assume? Are we to assume that like before the events of The Walking Dead, Daryl was living in England with Harry Potter? And then he just like took off, like I'm gonna go see my brother, and he just like took off. And then he's like, "Meet me in Georgia. I'll wait for you there." Like, what? what like, is that what's supposed to happen? I assume so. Yeah, it's crazy though because in the show, Daryl, besides the one time he almost hooked up with Beth, Daryl is never with anybody ever. He's like the lonest lone ranger, and it's crazy that it's all like, oh, "I just want to, I just want Daryl to have sex with everybody." It's just, it's just weird that he's the one. He's, he's, you know, he's betrothed to Harry Potter Dixon, so. He's not yeah, going to exactly. hook up with anybody. No, why, Every night why before he, he goes to bed, he looks. He's got a picture of Harry Potter Dixon to look at. Mm-hmm. It must be why every time he goes hunting, you hear. <laughs> oh, that's um, his whistle thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just, I don't. I thought it was funny. I thought it was just so weird and just so out of nowhere. I, I just thought it was funny. Just, just. Are you mad? Get he... over here and kiss me. <laughs> Why does Harry Potter have a sword? Why isn't he like casting spells on the on the zombies? I assume it's the one that he pulled out of the hat. I don't know. The sword of Gryffindor. Yeah, Godric Gryffindor. Yeah, but it's huge. It's supposed to be like a, it's written as a massive sword. The, the sword of Gryffindor is like not that big. I guess so. I don't know. I I have no idea. I just I just thought it was funny, man. Your reaction um, actually, was funny to it as well. Um, actually, the sword of Gryffindor yeah. would never be that big. Actually. <laughs> uh so yeah i mean do you have any any uh anything you want to anything you want to talk about with it uh yeah it shouldn't exist <laughs> this is a cursed fanfic it's cursed, it's cursed. <laughs> cursed. that's 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 all i have that's it small yeah. one little thing not gonna make too big of a deal about it uh that, that shouldn't exist yeah it should not exist uh whatsoever and if you enjoy this for more than crack um you're on crack uh, I, I've as far as uh, adaptations go, the biggest one between the show and the book is that Daryl's not in the book. Well, there's no Daryl. You didn't know that? No. And then I guess there is no. By that extension, there is no Potter Dixon. It, 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 Potter Dixon is not canon in the graphic novel series or the comic series, but it is canon in the TV series. Right. 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 Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I didn't. I didn't know Daryl wasn't in the book. That's crazy. No, he's not, and that's—I mean—that's a reason to watch the show. You get Daryl; he's one of the best characters. Is he an amalgamation of like characters that are in the comics but not in the show, or is he just like completely? His own no, thing? he is really his own thing, and that's—that's that's, you know—that's one of my points of the adaptation is like he is really his own thing. I mean, uh, you know, the crossbow is sort of like his trademark uh, weapon. There's one character that uses a crossbow, and he's in the show, and he steals Daryl's crossbow at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's about it. Uh, besides that, um, no, Daryl's really his own guy. You know, the whole biker thing with the wings and the loner. Like, there's no one like that in the in the book. At least not up to trade 21. So that's most of the series. <laughs> trade 22, Daryl shows up and he's in the next episode. <laughs> Daryl just rides trades. in like, Daryl rides in on the motorcycle and you see someone behind him holding <laughs> his waist. And it, when he takes off the helmet, you see a lightning bolt scar. <laughs> it's the boy who <laughs> lived and died twice. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's that's uh, gosh, yeah, and that's where how the yeah wow it's you go from not existing to the if we lose Daryl we riot movement of dude the, seriously uh, early yeah 2010s yeah and imagine stuff. imagine being Norman Reedus too like imagine the freedom you kind of have there being able to do whatever you want for that character 
And, but also right. imagine how how scary it is to be him because like like I said, some of the deaths are are like inconsistent between the books. But you know, most of the people that are dead besides. Andrea, she died in like season three or four, and she is like I think she lives to the very end in the in the, in the books. Um, but like Daryl, like you never know if you're Norman Reedus when you pick up that script if you're going to die that episode because there's no source material telling you around when you should die whatsoever. All right. Yeah, or unless if you're Morgan, you die in the show, but in the or you die in the book, but in the show you just get put on the other show. <laughs> yeah, if you're The Walking Dead, got to amp up those ratings. Yeah, they really do. And the same, Dwight, uh, one of the saviors, he's also in Fear the Walking Dead now. Hmm. Yeah, so it's weird that two people from, or, you know, yeah, two people from the same area in Virginia found the same people in Texas. It's so strange. Yeah, man, it's, it's like their version. It's their version of plot armor, plot GPS. Basically. Yeah, plot GPS. Uh, well, sweet. So we did the we did the adaptation nonsense that was way too long, and I apologize, but I had fun talking about it. We did the uh, fanfic, which uh, for some reason you were really into. Uh, what are you stoked on, bro? I am stoked on. I've um, when I went home for the for the holidays. Shame on me. When I went home for the holidays, I was going through some of the old books in my uh, in my collection, and there's mm-hmm. this old fantasy series because we had been talking about you know we talked about some authors last time we were yeah, hanging yeah. out, and I and I brought up um, Ursula K. Le Guin, yeah, and I had all the books in her fantasy series the earth sea cycle and yep. i had read them and they were very digestible and easy to read as a kid and i'd read them all and i had like these like, vague, a lot of like my like little like sketches and drawings in my books and everything were very like influenced by the those books and everything yeah so i was like i was like i wonder if these would be good the second time around so i grabbed like a fistful of them and i just like stuffed them in my backpack um and i've been rereading the earth sea cycle um and I enjoy it, but I'm like, man, when I, I never really understood the word sweeping before I read these books. Like this book is like, you read three pages and it's been like 20 years and you're like, oh, okay, really? well, I guess, I guess that counts for character development. Like, I don't know if it's good wow. or bad, but it's just, um, I don't know. It's, it's good. It's like nostalgia. It's kind of like binge reading for me. Yeah. Like, like binge watching a show. It's like, I already know where this is going. I know what happens, but I'm kind of just revisiting it. So I've been reading the, uh. The Earthsea Cycle by Ursula K. Le Guin. Is it as good as you remember? Um, I, I mean, a lot of people really love it. I, it's it was really good for me to read as a kid. But yeah, I, it's just like it's like a survey of a fantasy world. I'm just like, who, what do I? Who are the characters? Like, are they friends? Are they, <laughs> they're, they're leaving now? Oh, okay, he's like 30 years older now. Like, oh, he's he's bitter. Like, okay, oh, well, that's a life. It's it's written really weirdly because it just like covers so much. Yeah, um, sweeping. It's a little. It feels a little impersonal, and that's, I guess, what a sweeping fantasy novel is. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, and I do remember. And like, as I was reading the second, the second one becomes a little more specific and specific. The first one is just like really like, whew, like the pacing is like kind of mm-hmm. a windfall. Um, but it's good. Yeah, it's it's good to like always go back and, and reread those things if you have the time to. Just well, like nice. look back and, and enjoy it. Yeah, well, that's good. I, I that is she's on my list to read. I actually am staring at the Dispossessed, which is one of her sci-fi novels. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but she was famous for uh, alternating between sci-fi and fantasy every time she released a book. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. I, I also was reading it because I know that there was like an awful sci-fi show that came out <laughs> with um, Danny Glover in one of the roles. 
Um, what? And as I was reading it, I, I don't, the cover of my version of the book is like one of those awful, like now a sci-fi original uh. series event. So like I have that and like all the characters in the series are white and I pick up and reading the book. And I'm like, all these characters are black. Like, how is this possible? The only black person they cast in the show was Danny Glover and everybody else was white. And I was like, oh, wow. Like they literally are saying these characters are black. And I was like, huh? Interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. And also it was just rare. Like I feel like. I, I hadn't really read a, a fantasy novel with, with like people of color. Like either it doesn't explain or it's like the fair maiden, you know what I'm saying? At least the ones I, I've read, like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and, and this, that and the other. Yeah. Interesting. So, well that was interesting. Uh, and I look forward yeah. I'm gonna watch the series and I look forward to, to, to seeing Danny Glover just like lay down as a mage what he's got you to should. do. You should. I'm getting too old for this spellcast and shit. <laughs> you look down and you're Danny Glover playing Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> oh my god, I'm Danny Dumble Glover. <laughs> Danny Dumble Glover. Oh my god. I'll Danny Dumble Glover. Uh <laughs> that is awfully amazing. Uh so my stoke for this week, um for uh Christmas, I got uh Jorodowski's Dune, which is a documentary um about the greatest Dune movie that was never made. Um in the early 70s, uh, there was a, I believe he's Chilean-born, but made movies originally in Mexico? I don't really know. Uh, his name's Alejandro Drodowski, but I also think he has French heritage. Who knows? Really, he's a weird guy. And uh, he was an absurdist and existentialist filmmaker in the 60s and 70s, friends with, you know, all of those types of people in the late 60s. And, uh, you know, that whole movement of absurdism and existentialism. And... Um, he made one really popular movie. I can't remember what it's called. It was uh, first he made a western that was really popular, and then he made this really like religious movie that was really popular. And then a French agent um, came to him, a uh, producer, and said, "Not agent, a producer." And he basically was like, "Look, we're giving you Cape Blanchett. What do you want to do?" And he said, "Dune." And so he started to adapt it. And he got uh, Moebius, which is, like, one of the best French comic book artists of all time, um, who's very, very popular. Uh, and he did all the storyboards, and the storyboard book is an absolute brick. It's massive. So he had one of the greatest French comic book artists of all time do a storyboard for him. Uh, then the uh, – uh, oh, man, I'm, I don't even want to get these names wrong, so give me – Give me one second. I want to make sure I get them right because uh, they're really, really big names, really important people in filmmaking. So let me let me get this pulled up. I should have I should have had this prepared. So now I'm the one who ah. wasn't prepared. It's interesting because I've actually been reading more and more of Dune, and granted, I'm only like in the middle of like book two of the first book. Um, mm -hmm. But it's interesting that like an absurdist would want to do Dune when like so much of it is like. Outside of like you know they have like they talk about Paul's like his prescient memories or whatever and like yeah. seeing different versions of the future like that could definitely be trippy but like so much of it's like hard scrabble like salt of the earth like survival like I yeah. would think that somebody who makes those kind of movies I would I would assume like if it was set in America like Mark Wahlberg would be like I want to play that guy <laughs> yeah we'll see the the thing was um, uh, he was just a weird guy he was gonna have his son play Paul which right off the bat it's like but why. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I got, I got it pulled up. Uh, Moebius, uh, Jean Moebius Gerard, uh, did 3,000 drawings depicting the entire film in a storyboard, drew it like a comic book. Uh, Salvador Dali, yes, the one and only, 
was going to be the emperor, the Padishah emperor. Uh, he asked for oh one. He asked for one hundred thousand dollars per hour to be in the movie, and that's like on set hour. And uh, the producer finally said, "We'll give you a hundred grand per minute that you're in the film." And so Jorodowski was like, "All right, cool. I can keep it under five. And they're like, "This is already becoming one of the most expensive movies ever because of Salvador Dali." And, he, and he's like, "No, no, it'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be good. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry." Um, <laughs> then um, Pink Floyd was going to do the music. That okay? So you know, I, I, I'm very clearly all about um, director-driven or like artistically driven um, pursuits and storytelling. I, I love that stuff. I think the movie would have been horrific. I love the concept of this being Jorodowski's, like, baby. I'm just happy it didn't happen to Dune because it would have been awful. Like, wow. It would not have been Dune. However, it's cool to know that he had this clear vision. So one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted every single, you know, clan or planet or family have their own um, band do the music. So Pink Floyd was going to do all the music for the Treides. A German metal band called Magma was going to do the music for the Harkonnens. Uh, Then he got spot on. Yeah, then he got H.R. Geiger, or Geiger, who is the dude that uh, did all of the character designs for Alien. He actually designed the entire Harkonnen planet, and the, mm-hmm. the concept art he has for that is ridiculous. Then we have a guy named Chris Foss, who's really popular for doing um, book covers, sci-fi book covers. He did all the concept art for all the Imperium stuff, and he's, he's super famous. Uh, he did the 1970s British paperback of... Um, Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. He did a lot of stuff. Great artist. Uh, I have to say great artist. But, but of course, he's sitting there and he's like, yeah, I never uh, I, I never actually read Dune. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, this, is, this is on recipe for a good adaptation as we've outlined. Exactly. Uh, Dan O'Bannon, um, who was the guy that did all the special effects for Alien with uh, Ridley, uh, Ridley Scott, he uh, was going to do all the special effects for this. And what's crazy Dude, a post, is that, a post alien Ridley Scott would have been a perfect director for Dune, like right I, in the seventies, like early eighties. Like he was going, he was going to direct Dune, and he didn't direct Dune, and um, because he didn't, it went from Jorodowski to Ridley Scott to David Lynch. Uh, Ridley Scott was going to direct it, and because he didn't, uh, Alien got made. Uh, because mm-hmm. the crazy, the thing that this movie points out is that the team that Jorodowski assembled actually went on to make all these other sci-fi movies. So they're, they are directly um, uh, responsible for making the later Star Wars movies, not the first one, but the other two, the Alien series, the Flash Gordon movie, the Terminator series, and the Fifth Element. All of that is because of the uh, the team that Jodowski assembled. Man, Dune died so sci-fi movies could run. That's literally it, bro. That's exactly what happened. Um, Orson Welles was going to be, uh, I believe, the Baron. Uh, David Carradine. Oh, my God, that's awesome. David Carradine was going to be the Duke. Uh, Mick Jagger was going to be Fie, uh, Fade Rautha. I mean, like, they had so many people who was going to be <laughs> in this movie. It was going to be cool super idea. expensive. Yeah. But the thing was, he... 70s um, Mick Jagger. Huh. Yeah. And, and then instead, we got 80s Sting. Uh, but the, the thing is, he, he has a quote from it where he's like, you do, not, you do not marry the woman that you love because in a marriage, you must rape your wife. And that's what I was going to do to Dune. I was going to rape it and transform it. And like he literally, literally said he was going to rape the story. <laughs> like, it's like that episode of South Park. Oh yeah, with with um, <laughs> with George Indiana Lucas Jones. And Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's exactly what it was. So <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's exactly what it was. Um, 
So he he gives you the storyboard, and it literally was literally. I think it ended with Paul becoming Arrakis, like Paul becoming the planet, and then floating through the galaxy and changing everybody's religion. He literally told all these people oh that he God. wanted to change religion itself by making this movie. He wanted to create That's a amazing. religion for young people in the seventies. <laughs> he just um, wanted a cult. Is then I decided that I would just have a cigarette and start a cult. I thought I then you all give me all of your women. I don't know something like that. Uh, so I, I just. I'm stoked on Jordalski's Dune because I, I haven't gotten Dune. It was supposed to come out on December 18th. It didn't. It's not coming out till October. I hate my life. Uh, so I wanted to, you know, watch all the related content before it came out. I'm glad I watched this because I'm very glad we didn't get this movie. I, at the same time, though, it seems really cool that he was going to make this his thing. I'm just glad it didn't happen to the thing that I love. Um, and I am very happy that it seems like Denny Villeneuve, who is doing the adaptation of the movie, is splitting it into two movies. And apparently it's the... It, this is a project he's been working for or working towards with every single project he's done up to this point in his life. So if you make it your life's mission to do Dune and you want to adapt it and it seems like it's going to be good, I'm stoked for it. Uh, but Jordanowski's Dune, if you've read the book and you've seen the 1984 movie, I highly recommend watching this documentary. It's only an hour and a half and it's really cool. It's, it, it, it gives a big behind the scenes on like the artistic process, filmmaking, especially, you know, in the early seventies. Um, so I, I'm stoked on that. It's good. Uh, I, I have to satiate um, my my Dune uh, needs until it comes out, and I've been doing that with the figures. Uh, so I'm stoked on those. And I also just got the second board game that they released, uh, this this one for the movie. So I'm um, stoked on Jordowski's Dune. You should watch it. Yeah, that sounds. I would definitely. I'm definitely going to take a look at those storyboards. That sounds. That sounds awesome. But that that uh, also sounds like a good doc. Yeah, it's a great doc. If, if you've never seen um, Moebius, Mobius, Mobius, how you pronounce his name, great artist. I mean, uh, absolutely stellar uh, artist. He he is probably. Uh, I can't say this confidently because I haven't seen every you know sci-fi uh, comic book artist, but he is up there as one of the best ever for sci-fi because his his creativity is unmatched. I would say. Um, and so he is, he is also a, I would say existentialist or an absurdist artist, but he does it in a comic book way. And I think it's very good. So, um, super cool stuff. Yeah. I, I, if you're into all that and you, um, want to see what we almost got from the David Lynch movie, uh, I, I would say go and watch this. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking up some Moebius stuff now. Yeah. It's cool. It's like, it's like a crossover between like, um, Alita Battle Angel, like, like kind of cyberpunk futurism and, uh, like, the adventures of Rintin. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like that's that exactly what it simplicity. is. Yeah. No, you're right there. And I, I think the the costume designs they had were going to make everyone look really silly. But it would have been cool. It would have been its own thing. You know what I mean? Like, I I guess I, it would have been so unique. It would have been terrible. It, but it would have been so unique it like, and so cool. It would have, like, buried the franchise. Like, you would not be getting the movie you're getting now. Yeah, exactly. And what's, uh, you know, now they, because every, this documentary came out in 2013, so now everyone's like, oh, that would have been the best Dune movie ever. Wow. Um, and so now when you, uh, I hate, I hate when I read stuff about the one coming out this year, and they'll say like, yeah, this is a remake of the 1984 adaptation. What? No, it's not. It's an ad, it's another adaptation. It's a diff- it's not a remake. And then other people say, um, you know, then in the article, they'll bring up Drodowski's Dune. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you know, it, people are hoping it, it'll be as good as what Jordowski's Dune would have been. What? It didn't happen. It didn't come out for a reason. <laughs> and, it, and it was probably going to be, like, insane. Yeah, you know, that, that was going to be, like, the best movie ever. Um, 
And then, uh, then Jodorowsky was interviewed, and he's he he literally said he hopes that this one fails because he's still upset that he didn't get to make his. It's like whatever, bro. Nice. <laughs> Good. Good for you, bro. <laughs> so, um, interesting stuff. Uh, I, I just remembered, I hate to, to take even more time. When we were talking about adaptations, I said there was a third one that, that could be successful, and that is just taking the concept and doing your own thing entirely. My uh, example for that is Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick and then turning it into Blade Runner. None of it is the mm. same, but it's sort of the same, and it's, they're both very successful, right. so that's my third one. Hmm. We can talk more about that later. Yeah. Put a pin in there. All right. Well, fantastic. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this. Uh, lovely odyssey into the inner workings of the relationship between Daryl Dixon and Harry Potter Dixon. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm stoked on the Earthsea. I'm glad that you're you're getting back into this stuff, Ryan. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely getting getting back down that. Definitely reading a lot more Dune these days as well. So getting back into it. New Year's resolution: stop being a lazy piece of garbage. Hey, I think that's everybody's. Um, you definitely need to get on Goodreads so we can compete with each other on books. I do actually. I was updating Goodreads, so I, up, I updated my status and I added uh, Earthsea in there as well. All right. Well, now we got to be friends on Goodreads. Um, I count graphic novels, just FYI. So my my book total right now looks monstrous, but it's because I'm burning through these Walking Dead's. Uh, well, sweet. Yeah, no, mine is not looking like that. Well, we'll, we'll get you up there. We got to bump those numbers up, buddy. Those are rookie numbers. Uh, well, sweet, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode for today. If you like this, uh, rate us, uh, review us, subscribe to us, follow us on Twitter. Uh, give us love however way uh, you see fit or every way you can I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, Ryan what should we remember I think we've all been having a tough time you know sometimes you seem like you're so pendulum swinging back and forth some days you're feeling like you're on top of the world other days you wake up in the body of Albus Dumbledixon but <laughs> it's good to remember that um, we're always here for you we're always pulling for you and uh, we love you our loyal audience have a great day 